Today's scripture reading is from Acts verse, chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city. You will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about him, about this man, how much evil he has done to your, spirit, to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who had lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Thank you, Joan. Great job this morning. Uh, doing more than normal uh, for a, a worship leader, uh, but under the circumstances, uh, really great. Great job this Thank morning. The, the call from Julie came late Thursday. She was understandably very upset. Um, her father-in-law had been put on life support by that time. And uh, she said that it was uh, that the plan was uh, that they would take him off life support sometime late Saturday. Was there any way I could fill in for her uh, today? And of 
course. Uh, that, was the, that was never a, a question in mind. So I thought about her series of sermons on female heroes in the Bible, and I thought, who are my heroes in the Bible, both men and women? Well, I picked the lowest hanging fruit I could think of uh, to talk about, and I see heads nodding from this year's Disciple Bible class. It comes as no surprise that I would consider uh, talking about the Apostle Paul. Um, as Cindy will tell you, I could go on and on and on uh, about Paul. So this morning I will tell you why uh, Paul is one of my heroes uh, in the Bible. And speaking of past members of the Disciple Bible class, some of them would disagree with my characterization of Paul as a hero. And you know who you are, but I'm not going to look at anybody. The, uh, they would point out, first of all, that he was a misogynist, and that's true. He wrote in his first letter to the church in Corinth that women should remain silent in church, be subservient to their husbands, and only speak when spoken to. My disciple class friends would also say that Paul was what we would today call a homophobe, also true. In the very first chapter of his letter to the Romans, he condemned some people for what he called their degrading passions. He wrote, and I quote, women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way also the men, giving up natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men, end quote. And finally, my disciple class members would point out that Paul approved of slavery. True again. One example of that is in his letter to the church in Ephesus when he wrote, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. We've had many discussions about Paul in disciple over the years on these very issues, and the conclusion is usually the same. He was simply a man of his times. But I'm not here to make excuses for him this morning. That's not my purpose, nor am I going to dwell on those issues. I want to tell you why he's my hero, even though I strongly disagree with him on many issues, like what I just mentioned. First, let me tell you about him. His Hebrew name was Saul. He was a contemporary of Jesus, born around the same time, born in what is now Turkey. He was a Roman citizen who was well-educated. He spoke Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus spoke. Physically, there are hints in his writings that Paul suffered from a handicap that made walking difficult. And he also apparently had some kind of speech impediment. And he generally made his living as a tent maker. Religiously, he was a Pharisee, a conservative Jew, and he hated the Christians, hated them with a passion. He wanted them all killed. There's the famous scene in the book of Acts when Stephen is stoned to death. Stephen is long regarded as the first Christian martyr in history. Saul was present when Stephen was stoned. He was an eyewitness. And the Bible says Saul approved of that stoning. And then comes the event that Joan just read for us, Saul on his way to Damascus to root out more hated Christians, 
and he has this amazing conversion experience, the blinding light, the vision of Jesus, and Jesus asking him, Saul, why do you persecute me? That moment fundamentally changed that man. He eventually, of course, changed his name to Paul, which, by the way, in Latin means small and humble. So much happened in those 22 short verses that Joan read for us. In verse 1, Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And by verse 22, he is proving to his fellow Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Wow. That moment on the road to Damascus not only changed that man, but it also changed the course of human history. Because you see, after Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul has to be considered the most important and the most influential Christian who ever lived. I often wonder what would have happened to Christianity if there had been no Apostle Paul. And I will explain why in a moment. Paul was one of the original Christian missionaries. His task was to convert Gentiles and Jews to Christianity. Now the Gentiles, as you probably know, were generally pagan worshipers. They had many gods. They had the god of the sun, the god of the moon, the god of rain, the god of the harvest, and so forth. Paul's message to them was, there is only one God who is in charge of all creation. And because of the sacrifice of God's son Jesus, you can be forgiven for your sins. If you have faith in Jesus, you too will be forgiven. The Jews were a more difficult group to convince and convert. The easy part of Paul's message to them was the Jews and Christians shared the same God, the God of all creation, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. But the difficult part of Paul's message to the Jews is what showed up in verse 22 of this morning's reading, that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ. For most Jews, that was a deal-breaker, as it still is today. That was simply going too far. But despite the opposition, Paul persisted and continued his missionary work. He crisscrossed the Mediterranean region a number of times, starting faith communities of newly minted Christians in parts of Turkey and Greece and even into Italy, what is now Italy. During his journeys, he was beaten and put into prison several times. He suffered mightily. It is believed that Paul died in Rome around the year 65 or 66. Tradition says that he and Peter were both executed by the Roman Emperor Nero. Now let's be clear. Paul was not the only Christian missionary. The book of Acts mentions others as well. There was Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Menaean and others. But Paul was the most important missionary as far as we are concerned for one reason, because we have the letters he wrote to his many faith communities. Barnabas may have written letters, he probably did. Simeon and Lucius and Menaean, they probably also wrote letters to faith communities as well, but we don't have any of those letters. We only have Paul's. 
Of the 27 books in the New Testament, 13 of them, half the New Testament, is attributed to Paul. And with those letters, he essentially invented Christianity. Now, I haven't forgotten about the four Gospels. They, of course, tell the story of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his birth, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. But after all of that, the world's brand new Christians had questions, lots of them. What exactly am I supposed to believe in order to be considered a Christian? How am I supposed to act? Do I still have to obey the Old Testament laws or not? Do men still have to be circumcised? And on and on. And the answers that we have to those questions and the ones that told the whole world what we had to do to be a good Christian and the questions that are still being asked today, the answers all came from one man. That crippled, misogynistic homophobe with the speech impediment who approved of slavery. Now I can pretty much guarantee that Paul had no idea that the letters that he dashed off to the faith communities that he founded in Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi and Galatia and Thessalonica and Rome and elsewhere, that those letters would eventually become official Christian doctrine and still be studied and revered and argued about for thousands of years. But they are. And for good reason. They are the work of a highly intelligent man, a deeply spiritual man, a man of great passion, and also a pretty good writer. Paul for example, had a profound influence on Martin Luther, who sparked the Protestant Reformation in the late 1400s. Luther was studying Paul's letter to the Romans by candlelight late one night when he had his great aha moment and he suddenly understood what he had to do to be a good Christian. But that's for another day to talk about. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, experienced his famous conversion episode one night during a Bible study class as someone was reading Paul's letter to the Romans. And people today are still reading Paul's letters looking for answers to so many questions. I would be remiss talking about Paul this morning and his great ideas and words if I didn't read some of his words. And I want to close with perhaps the most famous passage. In fact, this was read yesterday during Dot Palm's memorial service. This is known as the love chapter. It's from 1 Corinthians, it's chapter 13, and it is some of the most beautiful prose uh, in the Bible. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. 
It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three. And the greatest of these is love. How beautiful is that? The definition defines a hero as a person who is the object of extreme or uncritical devotion. And I guess that's true. But in my book, heroes don't have to be perfect. If you don't agree with your hero, if you find flaws in your hero, it doesn't take them away from being your hero. It doesn't have to. Now, if you'd asked me to name my Old Testament hero or one of them, I would have mentioned King David, who certainly was a deeply flawed human being. But, as I've established this morning, Paul also had his flaws. But that doesn't keep me from admiring his achievements and the words that he wrote so long ago that have meant so much to so many people for such a long time. Amen.